Well, good morning, Stone Creek. Man, how amazing was worship today. Can we give it up for those guys? Unbelievable. So good. So good. Um, I told Patrick this morning, I was like, you're like a white Bruno Mars, bro. You just are, you know? Um, love that guy. So good. Um, man, I'm so pumped to be here today and to kick off this new series called Eyes for Eternity and Hearts for Heaven. Um, I've just got massive expectation for this series. I believe it's going to be a perspective shifting series for our church that we're just going to see things differently after we get these eyes for eternity and these hearts for heaven. Um, the big idea of this series is that we want to be a people who are heaven bent, who are bent on heaven. We want to have eyes for eternity and live with a sense of urgency to make heaven as crowded as possible. We don't want any person, any place to miss out on the beauty of heaven. We want for them to be there. Like we want to go boldly, courageously, bravely to all of humanity with the hope of Jesus. Like we want to do whatever it takes. We, we want to be the kind of people who will charge the gates of hell with squirt guns if that's what it takes to reach the world for Jesus. Anybody with me on that this morning? Come on. Like, if that doesn't get you excited, I just want you to know you're going to hate this series because it's going to be that level of intensity as we lean into looking at eternity. You know, I don't know about you, but one of the things that has always inspired and captivated me is reading the biographies of missionaries who've gone before us. And I don't know if you know the name Adoniram Judson, but you should. Adoniram Judson is considered to be the first American missionary sent out to a foreign country by America. And in the year of 1813, Adoniram Judson went to Burma, which is modern day Miramar, to bring the gospel message into plant churches. And um, in that time when Adoniram Judson went there, Burma was considered a very dangerous and hostile country, one that would be close to Christianity, essentially illegal to share the gospel in. But Adoniram had a vision for his life that was so big that it caused him to go to Burma. Now, the story goes that before Adoniram Judson left for Burma, that he had plans to marry this young girl named Anne, who he was in love with. Anne was 23 years old, and um, Adoniram's plan was to marry her and then take her to Burma with him, where they would share the gospel and plant churches amongst the Burmans. And so what Adoniram did is before he proposed to Anne, he wrote a letter to Anne's father asking for her hand in marriage. He, and he wrote this letter, um, and, and I wanna read this letter to you today. This is what it says. This is what Adoniram writes to Anne's father. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion in the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamations of praise, which shall resound to her savior from heathens, saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. To which her father replied, 
I'm going to let her decide. It's funny, this is Adoniram Judson's request to marry Anne, and he sends this letter to her father. Um, when I asked for Kayla's hand in marriage, I made a PowerPoint presentation and took him out for pizza. <laughs> Needless to say, Adoniram and I aren't on the same level, right? And when you hear a story like this, you've just gotta begin to ask yourself, like, do I have eyes for eternity? And do I have a heart that beats for heaven? Little did Adoniram know how uh, prophetic this letter would be. Shortly after arriving in Burma, Adoniram was taken um, as a prisoner and he was thrown into a Burman prison and he spent 18 months in prison. And while he was in prison, he was beaten, he was starved, he was tortured to the point that you could hardly recognize him anymore. At night, the jailer would take Adoniram's feet and it would, the, the jailer would tie his feet together and hang them up in the air so that only Adoniram's back and shoulders would touch the ground. That's the way that he would sleep. And he would sleep naked, bare, so that the 110 degree Indian weather could beat down on him. And so that disease-filled mosquitoes could eat him alive. And he laid there and he wasted away. While he was in prison, he received word that his wife, Anne, had become pregnant. And so Anne would make the two mile long journey every day to the prison to plead with the jailer to release her husband. Um, while Adoniram was in prison, Anne gave birth to their daughter, Maria. And then Anne became extremely sick. And so um, the jailer eventually showed mercy on Adoniram. And what he would do is he would let um, Adoniram out of jail because when um, Anne became sick, her milk supply dried up. And so what Adoniram would do is he would take his little baby girl, Maria, into the nearby village so that other nursing mothers could nurse his baby. Adoniram was let out of jail just in time to watch his wife, Anne, die. And then six months later, watch his daughter, Maria, die as well. He would then go on to spend the next eight years in extreme loneliness until finally he remarried his second wife who would only die on the mission field too. Adoniram Judson would bury seven children on the mission field and would die at the age of 61 amongst the Burman people. And when you hear that, you've just gotta go like, do I get it? Do I understand eternity? Do I understand heaven? Do I get what this whole thing called life is really about? Do I have a picture of the glory of God that is big enough that would cause me to risk it like they did? And, and if we're honest, when we hear a story like that, there's this tension within us to not be inspired, but to actually just feel bad for them. Am I right? to just feel bad and sad and disappointed on all that they lost and all that they laid down, just to feel really bad for them. But, and, and I did too, that's the natural emotion. I was just feeling like devastated for this couple until I read Anne's letters. And Anne's letters make it seem as if she doesn't need us to feel bad for her, but she might actually feel bad for us and the way that we see things and the way that we live. Check it out, this is, Anne's letter to her friend Lydia. She says, I feel willing to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I've about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, to sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. 
My determinations are not hasty or formed without viewing the dangers, trials, and hardships attendant on a missionary life. But I most sincerely hope that we shall be able to remain among the Burmans, a people who have never heard the sound of the gospel or read in their own language of the love of Christ. Though our trials may be great and our privations many and severe, yet the presence of Jesus can make us happy. And the consciousness that we have sacrificed all for his dear cause and are endeavoring to labor for the salvation of immortal souls will enable us to bear our privations and trials with some degree of satisfaction and delight. That doesn't sound like someone who needs you to feel sorry for them. That sounds like someone who just maybe would look in on our comfortable, convenient version of Christianity and feel really sorry for us. Like you've got to ask yourself, like, do I have those kinds of eyes for eternity? Do I have that kind of heart that beats for heaven? You know, we're in this series called Eyes for Eternity and Hearts for Heaven. Happy Sunday, by the way. Like I, I know that it feels really intense, but sometimes I think that we need our cages rattled a little bit. Like sometimes I think that we need a story like this to just kind of jolt us back into reality and cause us to wake up from the American dream that is all about comfort and consumerism and materialism and stuffism that is about playing our cards the right way and playing it safe and arranging our lives so that we can be as safe and comfortable and enjoy as much as we possibly can. I just wonder if a story like this needs to cause us to have a recalibration that take place where we see that maybe we don't have eyes for eternity and hearts for heaven, but we've only got eyes for the momentary and hearts for the here and now. We are consumed with what's right in front of us. We are intoxicated with what stands before us. We've got this tunnel vision. We're blinded by our schedules and our routines and our busyness and our jobs and our plans and our preferences and our decorations and our television shows. We're so blinded and we think that this is all that there is. And I just wonder if maybe, just maybe, that there is another way of seeing, that there's another perspective to be had, if there's a way of seeing eternity, if there's a way of seeing heaven that could actually make this life make more sense. Hey, do you remember um, the dress that broke the internet? Do y'all remember this dress that broke the internet and caused me and my wife to almost get divorced? Do y'all remember this dress, right? Now, by show of hands, how many of you see this thing as white and gold? White and gold, you're my people, okay? It is white and gold, right? Now, how many of you see it as blue and black? How many of you, now you are actually right, okay? You're right. Um, my wife and I, like we debated, because I saw this dress and I was like, it is white and gold till the day that I die. If you don't think it is, you're an alien and we're divorced, okay? Like how could you not see that as being white and gold? Now, the truth is, is that it is absolutely blue and black. So give yourselves a big round of applause, blue and black people, you see appropriately. Now, here, here's what this logically leads me to believe is that there's a way that we could potentially experience something yet interpret it incorrectly. Come with me on this for a second. It is possible to have an experience in life and the way that we interpret that experience, although it feels right, although it looks right, although we know that it's right and couldn't conceive it not being right, we're actually wrong. I could have never imagined that that was not white and gold, but I was actually wrong. And I wonder if our perception, the way that we have interpreted our existence on this place called planet Earth is wrong. 
I wonder if the way that we've interpreted our existence to be about what's right in front of us, about money and houses and cars, about convenience and luxury and chillaxing and collecting seashells on the beach and playing golf is wrong. I wonder if we've missed it. I wonder if there is a way to see where we see into eternity. You see, the apostle Paul, he urges the Corinthian church and he urges followers of Jesus to see this way in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Look at what he says. It's one of my favorite scriptures. He said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He says, hey, we don't lose heart when it's difficult. We don't lose heart if it's hard. We don't lose heart if we've been given a difficult race to run. Our outer self is wasting away. Anybody old and can attest to that? Anybody old? Like I'm on the cusp of 30 and like I hurt myself the other day drinking. Like literally, like I drank and I was like, my elbow, it's hurt. Like what, like we feel this, right? Our outer self wasting away. But the truth of the gospel is that our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're becoming this new creation, transformed to look more like Jesus, love more like Jesus, live more like Jesus. And he says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, I don't know if Adoniram and Ann Judson would classify their life as light and momentary affliction. That feels really difficult. But the apostle Paul can speak to it because he was beaten and shipwrecked and persecuted and ran out of towns. He knew what it was like to have nothing, to be abandoned and forgotten and wanted. He knew what it was like to be hungry and in prison, to be all alone to have something that he cannot shake and cannot escape. And so he knows affliction and he says it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, as we stare at, as we have eyes for, not the seen, but the unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He's pleading with us to pay attention to our perspective to examine how we see and to make sure that we don't live this life consumed and focused on the momentary. He says, have enough perspective, get high enough in life to see that all of this, all that we have, all that we wear, all that we purchase, all that we buy, and all that we're currently chasing is one day gonna be gone. It's transient, it's temporary, momentary, here today, gone tomorrow. The nicest of stuff, the biggest of houses, the coolest of cars. You can get that stuff, Paul says. But he goes, in the end, it's transient. And we know this, right? We know that it doesn't matter like athleticism or beauty or fortune or fame or comfort or luxury, like all of that. Like you can have it for a period of time, but eventually you're not gonna have it anymore. Steve Jobs tells us this, right? Like Steve Jobs, real rich, invented Apple, right? Lived a life of luxury, fame. Everybody knows him, Steve Jobs, rich. But let me ask you this question today. How rich is Steve Jobs? He's not rich, he's dead. Yeah, you can laugh, it's okay, he's dead. He de- doesn't have any money. D- dead people aren't rich, they can't spend anything. Like, I'll do it like this. How athletic is Hall of Fame running back Walter Payton? Played for the Chicago Bears, scored touchdowns. How, how athletic is he now? He's not athletic, he's dead, right? Dead people 
don't run. They don't jump. They don't catch passes. He's dead. How pretty is Marilyn Monroe? She's, she's not pretty. She's dead. How pretty is my, Miley Cyrus? She's not dead, but she's not pretty anymore either, right? Like, <laughs> you get where I'm going with this. Like, you can get these things in life. Fortune and health and the perfect body and all the money and the nicest house, but you know one day it's just gonna be gone. You know one day it's going to do absolutely positively nothing for you. Why is it that we buy, we, we save up money to buy a house and then we get in that house and then we save up money to buy a bigger house and then we save up money to buy a bigger house and like then what? Like do we just keep doing this over and over and over again? Why is it that like we've got all the comforts, like I can talk and make music play in my home. I can right now turn on the air conditioning at my house, my car, like I walk up to it and go like this and it opens. Like how can we have all of these comforts and yet still be left wanting more? How can it still not satisfy? How can it still not fulfill? Is it possible that maybe we weren't made for the momentary, but we were made for eternity? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it like this, that God has put, he has placed eternity on to the heart of men. God has put eternity into man's hearts. Eternity is what you long for. Eternity is what will fulfill you. Not the momentary, not the temporary, only eternity. And yet we're so consumed with the momentary. I was trying to think about how to explain this in a way that you guys would really get it. And I was reminded of one of my favorite illustrations by Francis Chan. And um, Francis Chan uses this illustration, I'm gonna use it today. So I want for you to imagine for a second that this rope goes on forever, that this rope, that it you know, goes off the stage and out the door and into the street and it ties up a cop and then it goes around the world 10 times and then it keeps on going just forever, okay? I want you to imagine that this rope is the timeline of the existence of your life. And now I want for you to imagine that your time spent on eternity is just this part right here, just this red part. This is your life in the scope on planet earth in the scope of eternity that you live here and then you've got all of this. And if we're honest, so many of us live as if this is all that there is. Like so many of us are just living for this red part, arranging for this red part, preparing for this red part. A lot of us, we work really hard to just live for this really small part of the end called retirement. Right, we save and plan and work and take extra business trips and work extra jobs and stay up late and miss out on time with our families and just for this part at the end where we can collect seashells and play golf. Isn't it funny? Like what if there was a way of living in this part that drastically affected all of this out here? Like what if there was more than just this, this red part? And what if there was a way of living here that drastically affected all of this? You know, sometimes I'll talk to people about the way that my wife and I have chosen to live, the way that we spend money or time or invest in people or think about schooling or our future. And they'll go, Joey, don't do that now because if you do that now, it's gonna affect this. Like you're so silly, you're so dumb for like living because you're gonna miss out on all this out here. Like you need to go get this degree and you need to spend your time doing this and you need to manage your money that way because you've got this and they just, think that I'm silly or stupid or dumb. And I'm like, I'm silly, I'm stupid, I'm dumb. You're, you're living for this when you've got all of this. The way you're living here, the money and time and 
things that you're wasting here, it's gonna affect all of this. And I'm the dumb one. It's, it's crazy, it's silly, but so many of us, we live for this momentary and we miss out on eternity. But what if there was a way of seeing the momentary that affected and impacted and made this massive difference in the scope of eternity? Do you realize that you're gonna live this long somewhere? Someplace, heaven or hell, there's gonna be all of this eternity, all of this time, all of this stuff. It's just gonna keep on going and going and going and going. And what you do right now and this little thing called life is gonna affect what this looks like for you and me and for the rest of the world. You know, life is so short. It's so short in the scope of eternity. Days are long, weeks are long, but months, years, they fly by. You talk to somebody who's close to the end and guess what? They'll tell you it goes, it flies, it goes so fast. It goes so fast. You know, the oldest person in the world right now is 116 years old. And so let's just imagine you get 116 years. What if you've got to sacrifice that 116 years to miss out on eternity? Would you do it? What if, because I mean, if we're honest, if we look at this in comparison to all of this, it's nothing, right? And so what if you had one day, just 24 hours, and then it influenced how you lived the next thousand years? How would you live? If one day, if how you lived today affected the next thousand years, would you live differently? Would you spend your time the same? Like think about all that's happened in the last thousand years. Sliced bread, astronauts, America, Twinkies, right? All that's happened in the last thousand years. Imagine giving all of that up because you just wanted to spend one day the way that you wanted to spend it because you know eternity is gonna be so much better than the last thousand years. It's gonna gonna be this increasing place of joy and delight and satisfaction and peace and wholeness and beauty and it's gonna go on and on and on and on and on and on and on forever but we would rather live for this. I just wonder if there's a way of seeing things differently. I wonder if there is a way for us to parent in light of eternity. Have you ever thought about that? Like to parent in light of eternity? To parent not just for the here and now, not just correcting this behavior, so worried about this behavior, but actually becoming concerned with who your kids are becoming? We parent for the momentary, like we're more concerned with uh, whether or not they can throw strikes and make A's than we are if they know how to love people and follow Jesus. Are we praying with eternity in mind? Or are we just praying, God, I need a new job. God, help me get better. God, you know, give me some more money. God, help out my disappointment. I know you should pray all those things. Those are all great things to pray. But when is the last time you prayed for your neighbors and your friends and your family who are gonna spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell? When's the last time you prayed for the nations and the billions of people around planet Earth who do not know him? When is the last time that you prayed to get your eyes off of this stuff that cannot satisfy and get your eyes on your Savior? When's the last time you prayed in light of eternity that all of this is moment? When's the last time you thanked him for your sufferings? You thanked him for the difficulty. You thanked him for the struggle because you knew that it was in the midst of that affliction that you were able to show the world that Jesus is worthy, that he's enough. How is a world that is desperate for Jesus going to know that he is enough and that he satisfies when it looks like Netflix does? How's, he gonna, how's the world gonna know that he satisfies when it looks like our new car does? 
how is the world ever going to know? You know, like what, what, what if we truly lived in light of eternity? Like what if we stopped being so concerned with how people perceived us? And uh, what if we risked our reputations? What if we embraced um, discomfort? What if we were willing to talk to people about things that matter and we put on the shelf the things that don't? Like what if, what if we just chose to, to forget to sell the stuff that doesn't matter? Right, like what if, we, what if we lived and talked in light of eternity? Because so much of our conversations are what? Sports and stocks and politics and Facebook and Instagram. And did you catch the latest show of Grey's Anatomy that's been on for 27 years? Like that's what our conversations are full of. And I get it, it's so enticing. It's so, it's so, it's this trick, it's this trap. I fall into it too, right? Of wanting more stuff and of wanting the latest thing and wanting the latest trinket and wanting the latest toy and wanting the latest gadget and wanting shiplap. I've got four shiplap walls, people, okay? I get it. But how do, we, how, do we, how do we make our lives about more than that? Like what if we lived with eternity in mind, loved with eternity in mind, talked to people about the reality of eternity, talked to people about the one story that will exist for all of mankind, the story of Jesus coming to earth to make a way when there was no way for humanity, to love the broken, to heal the hurting, to save the forgotten. What if we made our lives about telling as many people as possible about the only thing that will change their eternity? And that's Jesus. Because if they don't know, like, like, let me just be real, heaven and hell are real and people are going there. And you and I have an opportunity to use our little snapshot of a life right here, right now, that's gone in the blink of an eye to impact whether or not people will spend eternity in a place called heaven or in a place called hell. There's a story um, of Penn and Teller. And if you know the magicians, Penn and Teller, they're magicians in Las Vegas. And uh, Penn tells this story of a Christian coming up to him after one of his performances and giving him a Bible. Now, Penn is a staunch atheist. He does not believe in God. He thinks that this is all that there is, that we live for the red part and then it's over. So he's got no concept for eternity. And so he tells this story of this guy coming up and giving him a Bible. And he says, the guy's really genuine and kind and writes a note in the Bible and talks about how much he loved the show and how good it was. And then he begins to talk to him about Jesus and the way that Jesus has changed his life and changed his future and changed his family and transformed everything about him. And the way that he's just, he's got to tell him because he doesn't know what else to do. And he said the guy was really real and genuine. He wasn't weird or quirky. He was just, he was genuine. He was real and it meant something to him. And then Penn goes, now I want for y'all to know I'm an atheist. Like I think this is all hocus pocus. Like none of this matters. But this guy just started to make me think that if, if Christians believe this, if they believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people are gonna go to one place or the other and that there's a way out, there's a way to get to this eternal paradise, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about it? How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them that there is a way to make it to heaven and to escape this place called hell? Like, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to atheists, and it doesn't make sense to me. Why is it that we get so caught up in what people think and how people perceive us? We're so worried about people judging us in this part, and we don't realize that a judgment is coming in this one. And we've missed it. We've missed it. You know, when I was traveling to India, I got to meet some people who I would tell you truly have eyes for eternity. 
and who have hearts for heaven. Um, when we were traveling, I met this couple, and this couple, um, I would classify them as living legends in the Christian faith, just the closest to people who belong in Hebrews 11, that roll call of faith, like they belong there, okay? They're that epic of Jesus followers. They've spent the last 30 years um, leading two organizations. One is an organization that teaches women the basics of economics in India. It teaches them how to save money and borrow money and essentially acts as a, um, as a micro-enterprising um, um, tool that allows women to take loans, to start businesses, and to provide for their family and to send their kids to school and to buy homes. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. It's called transformation groups. And this has allowed them to break into communities and share the gospel. And thousands of women have come to know Jesus through these transformation groups. And then they have this other organization where they plant churches and train pastors. And over the last 30 years, get ready for this, they have trained 30,000 pastors. And they have planted 250 churches a year for 30 years. That equals 7,500 churches that this couple has planted. Now, this is where it gets crazy. In this season of their life, they're in their 70s. And so they've passed off both of these organizations to their son and son-in-law who are now running them. And what they have chosen to do is they've chosen to move to a place called Odisha. And it's a state in India that is the most militant Hindu state. It's a state where they will persecute. And several years ago, they killed Christian missionaries here. It's a place that's massively underreached and underserved with the gospel. It's a place that is difficult to get to, that is extremely remote. And they have moved there to see a gospel effort start to break out in their 70s. They moved there. Now, here's the crazy part. You ready? They don't know the language. So in their 70s, they're learning a new language to be able to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. I'm 30 and won't learn Spanish. This is insane. These are people who have eyes for eternity and who have hearts for heaven. I got to go with them into a village where I got to meet one woman in this village in Odisha and she is the only Christian in her community. She is persecuted and she is forgotten and she is marginalized and she's pushed to the fringes and she is abandoned and isolated and suffering, but she knows that she's got a hope that's coming. I got to get this up close and personal look at people, not in books, not from the 1800s, but who right now are alive today and are living with eyes for eternity and hearts for heaven. And I'll be real, I just came back and I said, I can't live the same way. Like, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. I can't just go through the motions of life and act like it's okay to have the American dream and have Jesus too. Like, I just can't do it anymore. I can't live and make all of these justifications for my materialism and my stuffism and not open my eyes at all to the eternity that is set before me and that is set before you. I wanna live for what matters. You know that you were made for something more. You weren't made to make a living. You were made to make a difference. You were made to have impact. You've been given this life, this one life. You get one shot, one opportunity. You don't get another one. And what you do right now, it's gonna echo in eternity, make a difference in eternity, potentially affect who you're gonna see or not see in eternity. And so what about your friends? What about your neighbors? What about your kids? Are you still concerned with what they think about you right now? Are you concerned with whether or not they like you, whether or not they think that you're polite, whether or not you think, they think that you're nice or caring or judgmental? No, you shouldn't care about any of that. 
You should be okay being misunderstood. I should be okay being misunderstood. Okay, you know, walked all over. Okay, taken advantage of. Okay, I'm okay with it. I want to be okay with it because I know that eternity is worth it. What would happen, church, if we would become a people who saw eternity and heaven as so real and so valuable that we were willing to risk our reputations and deny our comfort and, and just say, I'll, I'll give it all away because heaven is worth it. It reminds me of the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 tells this story. And it's this story that describes what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. And he says, it's like this, Matthew 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What if we sold the American dream? What if we sold comfort? What if we sold convenient Christianity? What if we sold being politically correct? What if we sold being nice? What if we sold playing it safe because we saw eternity as eternally significant? What if it was the hidden treasure for us that someday we'll get to be in heaven with King Jesus and we'll see the nails in his hands and the hole in his side and the crown of thorns that were on his head and we'll see that he's glorious and that he welcomes us home. That he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. What if we sold it all and in great joy begin to live lives through the lenses of eternity. I'm not telling you you need to move to India. I'm not telling you you need to move to Africa. I'm not telling you that you've you gotta be a missionary, but I'm telling you that you gotta tell somebody. You gotta do something. You gotta live like it's real and that it matters and that people could be rescued and saved. I don't want you to hear that I want something from you. I'm not trying to take your money or your time or your retirement or your plan or your schedule. I want something for you. I want for you to live with more joy and more purpose. I want for you to live in light of eternity so that you don't get to the end and go, I wasted it. I wasted it. Please don't waste your life. Adopt eyes for eternity and hearts for heaven. I want our church to be the church that is so evangelical, that is so gospel-centered, that tells so many people about Jesus. I'm okay with us becoming those kind of weird Christians. Like, hey, do you know Jesus? I haven't told you yet, right? I want to tell you. That would be okay. I want us to pick up the phone and call people and go, I wanna know that when I get to the end of my life and I stand in eternity, that I'm gonna see you there. I, I, I want us to be able to know that we did everything that we could right here so that our friends and our families and our neighbors got to be here. I want us to have eyes for eternity and I want us to have hearts for heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. And I'm so grateful for your word. And I pray today that you would just give us this tiny glimpse into heaven. God, if even for just a moment that you would show us your glory, you would show us your majesty, you'd give us a picture that captivates us and controls us and motivates us to be people who don't just live for the here and now but who have hearts that beat for heaven, break for heaven, live for heaven. God, wake us up. Give us a reality check this morning. Let us ask ourselves, 
if our life makes any sense in light of eternity. God, I pray that you would pull us close to your heart, that you'd give us your eyes to see. And God, that you would just make stuff matter less to us and that you'd make people matter a whole lot more. I ask it in your beautiful name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.